deconstructed. Too often, ECG teaching devolves into pattern recognition and rote learning. The ECG, however, is fundamentally a logical picture of electrical activity in the heart. If you can learn some basic cardiac anatomy, understand just a few principles of lead placement and electrophysiology, your patient's ECG will whisper all their cardiac secrets to you. This is part one of a series. You'll learn why the hand-on-heart position is the best way to visualise cardiac anatomy and electrophysiology. You'll understand that leads are all about hula hoops, clock faces, and a team of tiny people with current measuring devices. You'll learn that there are always two rates to consider in an ECG, and you don't need to count boxes for either of them. And finally, you'll discover that describing the rhythm is simply a case of determining where the pacemaker for ventricular depolarization is coming from and determining its rate. Cardiac anatomy. Let's start with anatomy and electrophysiology. We're going to begin with a simple visualization of the heart position and the electrical flow through it. I want you to take your left hand and put it over your sternum with your thumb pointing up at your chin. Now, have a look at your fingers. They represent the atria. Your little finger is essentially the right atrium and it transitions into the right ventricle down the ulnar border of the forearm. Your thumb represents the left atrium and it transitions into the radial border of your arm becoming the left ventricle. You can think of the elbow representing your apex and the bulk of the forearm essentially being the ventricles. The septum passes through the middle of the wrist in the line of the forearm. Now, of course, the heart is smaller than this, but it helps to understand lead placement if you have a basic understanding of the general position of things in the heart. Now, we all know that electrical impulses in the heart progress systematically from the sinoatrial node through the atria to the AV node and conductance system and then to the ventricles. But what does this actually look like in a three-dimensional model of the heart? Let's use the model that we just described to visualise this. The normal flow of electricity in this instance is from the little finger to the thumb, through the wrist and down to the elbow. So as we move forward, I just want you to keep that little picture of the heart anatomy in mind and how it relates to the electrical flow through the heart. Electrophysiology and lead placement. We're now going to talk about electrophysiology and lead placement. You will find this section so much easier if you take a look at the excellent show notes that have been kindly prepared by one of our HMOs with some diagrams that will help it to all really make sense. But if you listen well, hopefully the analogies will be quite clear and you'll have a great visual picture of what's going on. Each of the leads on the ECG, I want you to imagine that each of those leads represents a person who is observing the patient from a standard position. They've got a little clipboard and a little current measuring device in their hand and they're measuring the current that's flowing towards them. If the current moves towards that observer who's standing and looking at that heart from that predetermined standard position, the ECG has a positive deflection, essentially above the baseline. 
if the current is moving away from the observer, then that little person writes on their clipboard a negative deflection showing that the current has moved away from them. Let's consider first the chest leads. Now these are all found on the right-hand side of a standard ECG. So that's V1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Imagine that hand-on-heart position again. And essentially, from where your little finger is, all the way down to your elbow, is where these leads are placed. V1 starts over the little finger, and then sequentially they move down to V6 being over your elbow. These have corresponding anatomical positions, of course. So V1 is in the fourth intercostal space to the right of the sternum. V2 in the fourth intercostal space to the left of the sternum. V3 fits between V2 and V4 with V4 located in the fifth intercostal space at the midclavicular line. V5 is level with V4 at the left anterior axillary line and V6 is level with V4 at the mid-axillary line directly under the midpoint of the armpit. Now that provides you with a physical location for each of the lead placements, but it doesn't help you understand how they see the heart. To do this, we need to understand the plane in which these leads or the current observers are actually seeing the heart. Now this plane is described as the horizontal plane or the transverse plane. It may also be called the axial plane. But the best way to imagine what that plane looks like and where it is placed is to see that the patient is now standing up. They've taken a hula hoop in their hands and they've lifted it up to the level of their heart. From the points that we described earlier, each of the leads, V1 to V6, there's a spoke radiating out from the chest to the level of this hula hoop. Now those spokes represent the line of sight, if you will, for each of the current observers that we mentioned earlier from leads V1 to 6. It's as though they're standing at the edge of the hula hoop with their eyes at the level of the hula hoop and looking along their particular spoke to the heart. That's their perspective for their recording of the current. If you were to stand at the patient's feet and look up at the bottom of this hula hoop, you would see that the spokes run from about 11 o'clock to about 3 o'clock. Now when you visualise this, it's immediately obvious why these chest leads from V1 to V6 provide information on the anterior part of the heart and the lateral part of the heart, but they give no information on the inferior part of the heart, for example. They're just not looking at or seeing that part of the heart. So let's move on then to the limb leads. Now for this, I want you to imagine that your patient is lying down on a large table and a clock face has been drawn around their body with the centre of the clock right in the middle of their sternum overlying the heart, 12 o'clock's at the patient's chin, 6 o'clock's at the patient's abdomen, uh, 3 o'clock's at the patient's left arm, 6 o'clock is at the patient's right arm. 
In this example, the table actually represents what we call the coronal or the frontal plane. Now, in real life, the coronal plane actually passes through the patient, so through the uh, mid-deltoid region of one side of the patient to the mid-deltoid region of the other. But for our purposes, we can imagine that the patient is lying on top of that frontal or coronal plane on top of the table. In this position, the current observers who they've got their hats on, we are, we're looking first at AVL, AVR and AVF, they're actually looking at the patient's chest from the level of the table. So their eyes are at the level of the table and they're stationed around the table at particular points. So for AVL, that little current observer is looking from above the left shoulder down at the upper left side of the heart. So they're standing, if you're looking at that clock face, from now imagine you're looking above the patient down onto the table. So they're approximately at two o'clock. The AVR current observer, they are looking from the right shoulder of the patient down through the center of the chest. So on the clock face, they'd be at approximately 10 o'clock. But again, as though they're looking at eye level, so they've got their, their they're bending down, looking through the, the side of the patient to look into the center of the heart. AVF, that uh, current observer is looking up from the feet of the patient towards the bottom or the inferior wall of the heart. And if you were to look at their position on this clock face, that would be approximately six o'clock. Leads one, two, and three are a little bit different. They're known as bipolar leads. They don't actually exist as a lead in their own right. So there's no one current observer with their own little hat on who's doing the work here. Instead, they're actually a sum of the information of two of the other limb leads. Imagine two of our little guys, AVR, AVL, AVF, just two of those guys together with their current meters getting together and conferencing to work out what would happen if someone was to stand between them. And this gives us a couple of virtual positions, if you like, around this clock face. So lead one, uh, this virtual current observer, would be standing at the left shoulder, looking across to the right shoulder of the patient. And they are looking at what's happening on the high lateral wall of the heart. And they're approximately in the three o'clock position. Lead two is in the left ankle, so we're, we're coming around the heart, around the clock face now. So we've started with lead one, and the next lead is lead two, and that's approximately at five o'clock, as though they're looking from the left ankle or the left hip up towards the center of the heart. And lead three is from the right ankle or the right hip, looking in approximately the seven o'clock position up towards the center of the heart. Now, it should be clear by now that some of these leads share a similar perspective. So we can actually group these leads into regions. We talked about the chest leads earlier, but I'll, I'll go through those in a little more detail. The anterior leads encompass leads V2, V3, and V4. So across the front of that hula hoop, in front of the chest, um, those current observers look in at the front of the chest, the front of the heart. That's called the, they're called the anterior leads. The lateral leads are on that same plane and they are looking at the left side of the heart. So a little bit further around the hula hoop, coming around under the patient's axilla. And that's leads V5 and V6. 
Interestingly, though, some of the limb leads share this position because by the time you get round to the patient's axilla at that hula hoop level, you might as well be looking at the patient as though they were lying on their back and you're at eye level uh, with, with the table that they're lying on and you're looking straight into their chest from that side, from that three o'clock position, you remember that that's where lead one is. Lead AVL Remember that was at that same position looking from the patient's left shoulder. That will also capture this lateral side of the heart. And sometimes lead 1 and AVL are known as the high lateral leads because they look up a little bit higher than leads V5 and V6 where the perspective is just slightly lower down the chest. So AVL and lead 1 can be known as the high lateral leads. Now, we have already discussed that AVF is located at the patient's feet. If the patient's lying flat on their back on a table and you're looking from the perspective of the table up towards the heart, then AVF's at the patient's feet. But remember, and and that was roughly six o'clock, Remember, though, that leads two and three were in positions five and seven o'clock. They're also looking up at the bottom of the heart. So therefore, leads two, three and AVF are known as the inferior leads. Coming back to leads V1 and 2, just as a little bit of extra information, if changes are only present in these leads, these are known as the septal leads because they provide a good perspective on where the septal, the septum of the patient, um, of the patient's heart lies. So V changes that are only present in leads V1 and V2 may be due to changes in the septum of the patient. AVR is interestingly the only right facing lead, the only lead that truly looks at the right side of the heart. Rate. Let's move on now and talk about rate. So in the normal heart, the atria and the ventricles are synchronous. So in that instance, you really only need to calculate or note just one rate for the patient. But in whenever there's a dysrhythmia, you need to calculate the rate for both the atria and the ventricles. It's quite uh, complicated to remember all the little boxes and all the big boxes on the ECG, but let's go through that quickly. The little boxes count for 0.04 second increments. Those are the boxes that are about one millimeter or one millimeter apart. The big boxes, however, count for 0.2 second increments. So that's the, the bolder lines that are five millimeters apart. If the heart rate is regular, you can take 300 and divide it by the big boxes between two parts of the ECG, two similar parts of the ECG. That might be the commencement of the P wave or the commencement of the QRS wave, and that will give you the rate in beats per minute. This is not always the most accurate because sometimes it's hard to get the exact number of big boxes. It might look like it's two and a half big boxes um, or two and a third big boxes, and the maths can get a little bit difficult. What you can do instead is actually count the number of complexes in that total ECG and multiply them by six. And this is actually the way you should do it if the patient's heart rate is irregular, 
but I actually find it easier just generally to do it this way. It's also slightly more, well, considerably more accurate than just taking 300 and dividing it by those big boxes. So all you need to do is count the complexes in the ECG and multiply them by six, and you'll have the rate in beats per minute for that component of the ECG. Now, the normal pacemaker of the heart is clearly the sinus node. So this is the part of the heart that has the fastest intrinsic automaticity. So it overrides the slower impulses of the remainder of the heart. It's helpful to know that the normal rate of the normally functioning sinoatrial node is about 60 to 100 beats per minute. But if there's dysfunction of the sinus node or it's disconnected with the rest of the system, you might see the AV node emerge as the pacemaker, and this has a normal rate of 40 to 60 beats per minute. Or in other circumstances, you might see the ventricles emerge as the pacemaker, and they have an intrinsic rate of 20 to 40 beats per minute. So let's just recap that quickly. When you're trying to determine the rate of the ECG, you can calculate just one rate if you can see that the patient is in sinus rhythm, but otherwise consider calculating the rate for both the atria and the ventricles in the presence of any dysrhythmia. And to work out the rate of any portion of any component of the ECG, whether you're looking for the rate of the P waves or the rate of the QRS complexes, What you are looking at is counting that component through the whole ECG and multiplying it by six. Finally, let's talk about rhythm. Now, to describe the rhythm of an ECG, you need to can include two things. The first is the location of the pacemaker. Now, what do we mean by the pacemaker? What we mean is what is ultimately determining the rhythm of the ventricles. Is the ventricular rhythm being determined by the atria? Is it being determined by the AV node? Is it being determined by the ventricles? Is it an ectopic focus? What is determining the rhythm of the ventricles? And you need to include the resulting ventricular rate. So, for example, the rhythm may be sinus atrial junctional, meaning that it arises directly from the AV node or ventricular, and the rate may be normal, tachycardic or bradycardic. So let's look at a couple of examples. Clearly, sinus rhythm is a patient who has the ventricular pacemaker being located in the sinus node. We don't actually mention that it's normal. You can call it normal sinus rhythm, but we typically call it sinus rhythm if the rate is the expected 60 to 100 emerging at the ventricles. Let's have a look at another one. What about atrial fibrillation? If you are going to describe atrial fibrillation correctly, what you should really say is atrial fibrillation with a rapid ventricular rate or atrial fibrillation that's rate controlled, what you're really saying there is that the pacemaker is the fibrillating atrium, so it's not coming from the sinus node, and 
The ventricular rate is either tachycardic, so in this instance, uh, normally we say that if that's above 100, or it is rate controlled, so less than 100 or less than 110 is, is really more acceptable now as saying it's rate controlled. Just one last example would be ventricular tachycardia. What you're saying there is that the pacemaker of the heart has actually now become the ventricles themselves. So the ventricles are ignoring the inputs from the atria, from the AV node, from the sinus node, and they are making their own way in the world. They're they're pacing the heart themselves. And the resultant heart rate is tachycardic, so in this instance above 100 As we move through this series, we will discuss a lot further about each of these dysrhythmias and their significance, how you recognize them, um, how you manage them. Recap. So let's just recap what we've discussed today. The hand on heart position, where you take your left hand and put it over your sternum, Uh, really can give you a rough idea of cardiac anatomy that's quite helpful when you're trying to understand where the leads are looking at, which part of the heart the leads are seeing. If you imagine your fingers are the atria, your forearm is the ventricles, and your elbow provides an approximation of the apex of the heart, this is quite a helpful visualisation. To understand the chest leads, you need to imagine that the patient's holding a hula hoop up around the level of their heart and that you're looking at a segment of that hula hoop really covering the anterior part of the heart all the way to the lateral part of the heart and that those leads are visualizing the heart at that level, so leads V1 to V6. When you want to understand the limb leads, you need to know that they're visualizing the heart as though the patient is lying on a table and the they're looking at the heart from the level of that table, looking straight into the centre of the chest from the level of that table and they're stationed at different points around the table with AVR looking from the right shoulder down into the chest, AVL looking from the left shoulder down into the chest, AVF looking from the feet upwards to the middle of the chest. Then leads one, two and three imagining a clock face um, with the, the centre of the clock in the in the centre of the sternum, lead one at three o'clock, lead two at five o'clock, lead three at seven o'clock. That helps you to appreciate the regions of the heart as well that are being looked at by each of these leads. So leads V2 to V4, looking at the anterior part of the heart, leads V5 and V6, looking at the lateral part of the heart. The high lateral leads um, being provided by, or the high lateral part of the heart being seen by lead one and lead AVL. Lead AVR being the only lead to look at the right superior surface of the heart. As we mentioned, there are not one but two rates to consider in an ECG, especially in the presence of dysrhythmia. You don't need to count boxes for either of them, just multiply the number of complexes or the number of P waves by six and you have your answer. And describing the rhythm is simply a case of determining where the pacemaker for ventricular depolarization is coming from and determining its rate. 
Our next podcast in this series is going to be on determining the axis, which to be honest, I found incredibly difficult and it took me ages to wrap my head around. But I think there's actually a really simple way of explaining it and understanding it. And then we're going to move through the various parts of the ECG and hopefully give you all some insights into the wisdom and the secrets that they each share with us as they um, present their logical information to us. Thanks so much for joining us for Thrive. The Thrive Podcast is available wherever you listen, with new episodes uploaded periodically. To get the most out of this episode, you can access show notes and a growing library of resources through Workplace. Just log in with your Eastern Health email address and password and search for The Thrive Group. We'd love to hear your feedback. Please send any questions, comments or suggestions to thrive at easternhealth.org.au. You can also let us know if you're keen to join our dynamic team. Music by Atch, Tokyo Walker and Julius H.